Hi, I'm Kim Vu. Welcome to Vietnola, the show about being Vietnamese in New Orleans. Vietnola is our window into our Vietnamese community in New Orleans and a bridge to Vietnam. We're a member of the family of shows on the podcast network, itsneworleans.com. Xin chào quý vị. Đây là bài Vietnola, chương trình pháp hành về cộng đồng Việt Nam ở New Orleans. Vietnola là một cánh cửa để nhìn vào cộng đồng ở New Orleans và một cảnh nối với quê hương. Vietnola là một số trình diễn trong chương trình pháp hành podcast itsneworleans.com. Today on the show, we'll have a conversation with Cindy Nguyen, founder and executive director of an organization in New Orleans East called VIET, short for Vietnamese Initiatives in Economic Training. Cindy Nguyen first entered no- the nonprofit arena as director of a community center in the Versailles Arms Apartments in eastern New Orleans. She provided home ownership counseling, tutoring, and other supportive services for the mostly Vietnamese residents at the time. This experience led her to start a nonprofit group called... Viet, and after Katrina helped establish the Einstein Charter School in the Mushu, Mishu area nearby. In 2009, Cindy ran for public office, vying for the District E seat in the New Orleans City Council. She lost another Democrat, but continues to work in the community through Viet. She's agreed to come on the show today and share her experiences. Cindy, thanks so much for coming and welcome. Yeah, thank you very much for the invite. You are an alma mater of a uh, former version of the show called yes. Win Win. Yes, yes, yes. Back in the days with uh, Steve Win, right? You That's were the right. other. You were the other Win. Correct. <laughs> when the other Win doesn't show up, there was another Win actually, also a female Win. There are a few generations of Wins, yeah. and uh, I wouldn't change my name, so we changed the show's <laughs> name instead. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to talk to you about your personal experiences. You seem to be incredibly active in the Viet community and through Viet and collaborations with other organizations. What was the impetus of running for office? Why did you decide to go from just staying in the nonprofit world mm-hmm. to being a publicly elected official? I guess from the most part was that it was an open seat. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, uh, Cynthia Woodard Lewis was term out and it was an opportunity for change. Um, and I just share with you that I just actually at that time delivered triplets. Mm-hmm. So I have six kids and I've always wanted to serve. Uh, I enjoy serving the community. I, it's more of an enjoyment for me mm-hmm. than a job. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to offer my skills you know, to the community. Uh, I feel that I could help bring communities together because Eastern New Orleans is just not just about the Vietnamese community. We're so diverse in different ethnicity that I, I felt like you know I could help lead the or, the district to a different change. Uh, the way I work is very engaging. Uh, I feel like everybody should be part of it. And one of the things that I, I felt like uh, that motivated me to run for office was the fact that I did not have a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. I wanted the entire District E to grow. Just didn't want just the Vietnamese to grow by itself. And so I felt like just having those minimum humble skills I will be able to offer District E a change. Despite the fact that I didn't win, I think that District E as a whole, we're still moving forward. Yeah. Do you do you feel that being part of the Vietnamese community was the impetus for needing to voice unrepresented voices, or did you just feel that this was a holistic goal of the district 
to take it to a new direction that you didn't feel yeah. the Democrats could do. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a holistic goal. Um, I've never felt that um, that just being an under a member of an underrepresented community entitles me or should <laughs> encourage me to run for office. Mm-hmm. I'm very well rounded. I, I and you know I just don't live in the east, but I shop on the low nine. I dine in the low nine. Mm-hmm. You know I shop wherever there's people, and so. You know, I travel a lot throughout the District E and the city of New Orleans. Which is unusual for peop- a lot of people in the Vietnamese community in New Orleans. Yeah, is, so, I'm, I, a- so I sense that you could kind of understand where I'm coming <laughs> from. As you know, as a Vietnamese w- woman in general, it's, it's hard uh, for us to be in this kind of field. Definitely. Right? You, speaking of which, do you know of any other Vietnamese women in New Orleans who have run, or in Louisiana who have run for public office? Not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're born and raised. I'm actually born in Vietnam. So I came over when I was five years old, 1975, but mm-hmm. raised in New Orleans. Okay. And did your at the time it was 2009? Did Cal play a role in inspiring you to be no. a Vietnamese person running her office? No. 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 Wrong party. Yeah, not wrong politics. Not, just, not the politics, but I've always felt like I didn't feel like because I come from an underrepresented community that I should run for office. I ran for office because I, I believe I have skills that can enhance the district, that I could bring people together, that I can have make impact to communities that are are being neglected. That sounds like, you know, you came into the arena the uh you know having worked a little bit in politics myself it's it's a little bit like a coliseum full of lions Mm -hmm. uh called politics um and that wasn't what motivated you did you feel however once you started running once you started campaigning once you were dealing with the insider baseball did you feel that being a vietnamese woman impacted your ability to run um, or just really impacted the way people interface with you in that world? No, I, again, I've never kind of referenced my community as a way to help me foster my career or to motivate me to do. I'm always about the entire communities. And so so I definitely enjoy the, the meeting the different people in different communities. One of the challenges that I found when running for office was the fact that I hear I'm pretty and since you shared that you've done politics before a, a supported campaign, I've heard and seen stuff that I didn't really care for, mm-hmm. and I wanted to stay focused on the community. For example, for instance, like well, if I vote for you, you do this for me, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to go down that track. Mm-hmm. You know, I want you to vote for me because you believe in me as a person and that I would do right for the entire community and not just for you only. And so um, I know a lot of my friends is like, well, you could have just lied. I was like, no, I, I wasn't raised and born to lie. You know, I'm gonna, I don't want people to get disappointed. I don't want people to feel like I've misled them. You know, I'm not going to lie just to get your vote. Mm-hmm. What about that process did you like and dislike? Well, I did not like being in front of the media. So I'm very, I'm more of a background person, working, um, leveraging relationship, building relationship. And so when you're doing that 
most of the time, you don't have time to be in front of the camera. And I found that that was one of my hindrance. I said, I did not, every time when the, the camera guy come, I see um, elected official run to it. I'm just not like that. I, I want to keep working. And, um, and the work should show for itself. And so I felt like that was one of the parts that uh, really hurt my campaign. And, of course, in New Orleans, it's about name recognition. And so while I believe in the work that I do, uh, I've been able to work and serve certain neighborhoods in District E. But I guess my name wasn't out there enough, mm-hmm. along enough to convince people to cast a vote for me. Yeah. It's been, it's been a few years since then. Yeah. Any interest in seeing if that could be a role? Maybe not in that seat, obviously, yeah. but... Um, I don't know. Um, I honestly really enjoy what I do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually still working on what I campaigned for uh, several years ago. Let's and, talk about Viet and yeah. some of the major programs that you have been working to move forward. Your work with seniors, for instance. Yeah, correct. So Viet was very fortunate three years ago uh, was offered eight acres of land by the Archdiocese of New Orleans, so we have a lease with them. And so we were able to move from a 2,000-square-feet office onto eight acres of land. We took an abandoned property and revitalized it into uh, a beautiful community center that has a walking path, that has a 3,000-square-foot playground, that now have a senior programs that meet on Tuesday and Thursday. And we have roughly about 100 seniors uh, not just Vietnamese, but we have black and white seniors coming together, exercising, providing companionship, uh, playing bingo, one of their favorite games to play. <laughs> uh, and we also host field trip for them. And so I've been very blessed to have them to be part of our office and to allow us to serve them um, because uh, seniors are very close to me. I came home to New Orleans about 13 years ago because of my grandparents. Um, prior to that, I was out of state. And, and where were you? So I uh, traveled during my younger years. So I graduated from Dubuque, Iowa. Okay. Yeah, and uh, then moved to Texas. A long way for a Vietnamese yeah, girl. Exactly. <laughs> I was the only Vietnamese girl up in Dubuque, Iowa. But I loved. Does I, not yeah, surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I loved. Uh, I still remember many positive experiences in in Iowa, and um, they it, Iowa actually changed me as a person. Um, because living in New Orleans as a young person, we had very limited resources. Uh, and so I tend to get into trouble. Um, and, oh, you were a bad girl. Oh, my gosh. You were a bad you, girl. Yeah, you, that would be you like heard another show. You heard it here, Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but I was very fortunate that my parents, you know, traditional Vietnamese parents, um, they were able and, and convinced to send me away for school. And um, because of that, I came home, uh, you know, educated. Because I wasn't planning to uh, go to college, but because of the people that I met throughout my journey, um, I decided to go to college. Oh, so you left um, for Dubuque before college? Oh yeah, I okay. left since uh, since high school. And what were you doing in Dubuque? Were you were living with a family? Or so yeah, family so family? I actually stay on campus, but prior, uh, so I actually moved to Monticello, Iowa, for my senior year in high school. So I lived with. Um, a couple that helped sponsor my family to America in uh-huh. 1975. So Mary and Gus Norlands live in Monticello, Iowa, and Mary and Gus, um, all their children were all grown, and they were in their 60s, and I just got kicked out of uh, the high school in New Orleans, and <laughs> I was on the drop out of high school, and so I find myself on the phone talking to Mary, 
And by the way, Swan is actually my Vietnamese name. Okay. So X-U-A-N. And so Mary's like, Swan, do you want to come up here and live with us? I'm like, sure, why not? How bad can it be? <laughs> OMG. <laughs> very positive, though, but still OMG. Um, very from learning New experience Orleans. from both me and from Mary and Gus New Orleans, but they became my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually instill a lot of positive and, and kind of open my mind up to different things. It's probably, you know, less opportunity to be wild maybe in Dubuque than yes. in New Orleans. Is that there was no guess? opportunity at all. <laughs> you could oh have run through the Like I've tried every way, every, <laughs> everything I could think of. But it was very positive. And so I, like I say, you know, thank God for marrying Gus <coughs> New Orleans, um, you know, for that experience. Yeah. And so then you went to college, university yeah. out there. And yeah. then I went to Lawrence College. It's a smaller Catholic college, mm-hmm. uh, predominantly all white. I was the only Vietnamese, maybe about four black kids. And um, so I ended up getting my degree in social work. Okay. Yeah. And then you came back home. I came home and then left again in a blink of an eye. Yeah. And went to Texas for a couple of years. And then my grandparents were getting older and I started my I guess old age started kicking in and said God my like I have no memories with my grandparents at all mm-hmm. and so then 13 years ago I came home and I was able to have seven seven to eight years with my grandparents till they passed away so I'm oh, very blessed for that that's wonderful yeah. at that time were you did you have family yeah okay Yes, I have my own. own. Correct. I started my own. And I wanted my kids to know my grandparents. And, of course, you know, my parents. My parents are still living in New Orleans. They've (laughs) been here since 1975. And so um, connecting back with family basically is the foundation of the Vietnamese culture. It's always been in me. But I just, I guess as a Vietnamese-American woman, I just had to find it in me. And Because it's a little bit annoying being a Vietnamese-American woman sometimes. Yeah, because you're fighting like, okay, am I Vietnamese? I want to be Americanized. I think this is cooler than Vietnamese. But There's a lot of expectations on Vietnamese women. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I married, my husband is the oldest in his family, and so you you could just imagine. Uh And and that's how the triplet came about because my, our three youngest, our three oldest daughters, our three oldest kids are daughters. And so my husband needed a boy mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, yeah right uh-huh and but i married a win uh-huh, uh-huh. so i didn't have to change my last name <laughs> so your journey eventually took you back to new orleans mm-hmm. and you started viet yep yep and where do you see that going what's the direction that you want to take the organization well i definitely want to Sustained. And so being in a nonprofit field for the past 13 years have taught me a lot. And so while, you know, a lot of people think that nonprofit depends on grants to stay alive, mm-hmm. but I'm taking a whole different approach. You know, um, we're looking at sustainable programs that could actually sustain our own activities, meaning that we're creating programs that we could generate our own revenue, mm-hmm. that we don't have to depend on the federal government or grants to sustain our services. What kind of programs? So one of the initiatives that we're working on is basically called Via Link 211. So your information, your state information and referral uh, call center. So when a non-English speaking person calls the call center right now, no, no, there's not a bilingual operator. They would have to be um, connected to a third party interpreter company that is in the East Coast or the West Coast, which as you know, um, there's different dialects. 
And and one of the things I'm very big on is that when somebody's interpreting for me and don't uh, don't know my community and understand what I go through, interpreting can be misled or be misinterpreted in many ways. And so what Viet is doing right now is we're forging a partnership with Viet-Link 211 where we're actually uh, creating jobs for local residents, particularly for Vietnamese-speaking uh, individuals, as well, you know, as bilingual-speaking individuals to become operators mm-hmm. to support our community. Because if we don't have, um, I guess, a valid interpreter, then our families are not going to be serviced correctly. Because if, if a family call and get an interpreter from the East Coast and they're calling about issues that is going on in the community, the person on the East Coast is, have no clue of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so that family may not be served effectively. And so... So it's a translation service that correct. you're looking? Okay. Yeah, so we're looking at not just the call center, but also setting up a, a professional translation interpreting service where we could actually contract our service out to different companies uh, to provide the service. So we actually have partners already, so we are working, uh, translating work for the Alliance Institute. We're uh, forging a relationship with the Louisiana Public Health Institute, LPHI, Mm -hmm. and we're also looking at a partnership with Tulane. And so um, I'm excited, Um, I really am, because one of the things that I'm very big on is that I don't like to depend on the federal government to support the work that we do. Uh, and I think that's in our culture. We want to be self-sustainable. We want to be able to raise our own money and provide the services. And so the money that we raise, we could actually put back into the community that really helps our family and not be uh, having to go through red tape with the federal government or bureaucrat or stuff that the government don't understand what our family really needs. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. We've been working on it for the past seven months now. And we're, we're hoping to actually launch our first pilot this summer where the call center, the VIA-Link 211, and VIA will actually open up bilingual operators available at a certain given time. And definitely we're going to track the volume of call. This project is going to impact the entire state of Louisiana. And we're hoping that after Louisiana's pilot and is successful, we're all going to go to Alabama um, Mississippi, Florida, and Texas because it's actually, uh, it's called Grill, so Gulf Region and Language Link. So that's the name of the project. Where there's other Vietnamese Correct. communities, Correct. diaspora yeah. communities. Well, when it, when disaster hit, it hits the Gulf, Gulf Coast states. And so we understand what people go through, here, uh, go through here in Louisiana as well as in Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, and Texas. Yeah, so... Wow! I know. Congratulations! Yeah. exciting, exciting stuff. I'm gonna keep my finger crossed. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully, uh, as we get this established, we'll be able to, to, uh, to leverage other partnership contract opportunity with some of our business partners that uh, are providing services to our community, but don't have that language capability to communicate to their customers. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about your fellowship with Kellogg. Oh my gosh! It's like I'm excited about that. So. Um, so I was very fortunate um, to be selected as one of the Kellogg Fellows for their Community Leadership Network Fellow Program that they're launching this upcoming year. Um, um, they selected 100 fellows from four different areas, uh, New Orleans, Michigan, Alabama, and New Mexico. So I'm assuming that there's 25 from New, New Orleans. I don't know all the 25. I haven't met them yet, but we're... Uh, we have our kickoff meet, uh, kickoff event in Battle Creek, Michigan on May 12th, so I'll be flying there. 
to kind of get started on my fellowship. Congratulations. And what, what will you be studying? Well, we're, it's a community leadership network, so we'll be focusing on our leadership skills. We'll be looking, um, uh, based on what I have received from the Kellogg Foundation, we'll be assigned to mentors that could help guide us through the work that we're doing in the community already. So Kellogg is, is huge on um, children and families. Mm-hmm. And so Viet, uh, since we've existed, we focus on children and families. And so um, I was very excited that they saw the, align- the alignment between Viet and the work that I've done for the past 13 years with their mission. And so, because I know it was very competitive, they received Absolutely. close to 2,000 applications. They do a lot of work in New Orleans. Yeah. In Louisiana in general. Correct. So really excited about the opportunity. I really wanted to p- pursue my PhD degree. Mm-hmm. But having six kids and picking it's up a... It's a little a p- hard to get that thesis done, that, yeah, that dissertation. I'm not even worried about that. <laughs> I'm more worried about you know, how do I balance, you know, fi- financially as well, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so, because my oldest daughter is graduating from LSU next year, and okay. so... So kind of got to get ready for her. And then the triplets are graduating from pre-K, so they're moving on to kindergarten, so or so all sorts of stuff. So Lots of lots of things to juggle. Correct, sure. correct. <laughs> but I think the, the fellowship is going to be uh, as amazing as working on my Ph.D. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so just the networking opportunity and get to learn about what other people are doing. That, so that's what I'm really big on. I love to visit and hear about what other people are doing so I could kind of like maybe mirror it or copycat it or or finesse it and fit into my or learn from it or learn from it exactly (laughs) exactly so um, and adapt it to make it all sorts of terminology right to what you do yeah and so yeah so I'm excited about it do you have a website where or, or information where people can learn more about what Viet does? Yes, yeah, so Viet has a website. So it's Viet, V-I-E-T-N-O dot org. So it's Vietno dot org. Or you can like us on Facebook. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Twitter, so are you Twitter? Are you I Twitter, tweeting? Yep, at uh, Cindy Viet. So C-Y-N-D-I-V-I-E-T. And then our Facebook is actually, so backslash uh, V-I-E-T-N-O, the number one. Great. Yeah. Cindy Swan, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all these exciting things going on. Thank you very much for the invite. I really appreciate it. And good luck with the fellowship. Oh, thank you. That's Vietnola for today. Thank you so much for joining us at home, at work, on your phone, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing. And a special thanks to today's guest, Cindy Nguyen. Our show is produced by Kim Vu, Tom Lasher, and Grant Morris. Our technical director is Chris Kehoe. Our theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Swamp Lilies. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sounding products, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Air Studio monitors, and much more. Visit www.presonus.com for more information. You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook. We're at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Vietnola shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True to the Game, and Midnight Menu Plus One. Keep up with all kinds of fun happenings here at Vietnola by getting on our mailing list. Sign up on our website, itsneworleans.com. Vietnola was recorded today in the lovely city of New Orleans. If you'd like to be a guest on Vietnola, we'd love to have you. Drop us a line. You'll find all the information you need on our website. 
Vietnola is produced by INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For everyone here at Vietnola, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you back here next week for our next episode of Vietnola. Until then, I'm Kim Vu. Bye-bye. Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.